Mission Program. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It is the oldest continuous observed feast in existence today, celebrated for over 3,500 years, and it is called Passover. And even today, more Jewish people keep Passover than any of the other Jewish holy days. We're going to take a look at that here today on Viewpoint because it has tremendous significance for all of us, Jew or Gentile. And believe it or not, this news just came from Israel yesterday. Cash rewards are being offered for sacrificing a Passover or Paschal lamb on the Temple Mount. So you could be in for a reward. In an effort to encourage the biblical commandment to sacrifice a Paschal or Passover lamb on Passover, the Return to the Temple Mount organization is offering financial compensation for anyone who attempts to sacrifice a Paschal or Passover lamb on the Temple Mount. Those attempting to even bring a lamb or a goat as a sacrifice to the Temple Mount will likely be detained by the Israeli police. But anyone who gets arrested for making the effort is going to receive $124 compensation for getting arrested. And if they get arrested with a lamb or a kid, they're going to receive $248. And if they succeed in sacrificing a Paschal lamb, they will get $3,103. Sacrificing a Paschal or Passover lamb is not a crime, but the police have detained those trying to make the sacrifice in the past. They claim that they're disrupting the order of things. But the Temple Mount Institute wrote that the initiative was launched despite the threats from Hamas and Israeli police opposition. They said that the renewal of the Paschal sacrifice is the only response to terrorism. The only response to terrorism. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And as a matter of fact, it may be that unwittingly, in saying so, that it's the only response to terrorism, what they actually inadvertently are referring to is the promised Prince of Peace who would come to rule the world on the throne of David, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. And he's called Messiah. He is called Yeshua. He was called King of Kings. The Prince of Peace. Well, for now there is no peace. As the Bible says, men will cry, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. And so today we take a look at Passover and its significance not only 3,500 plus years ago in the days of Moses, but also in our time. So I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And yes, even today, even though there's vast amounts of information that we're talking about, 
In fact, I trust that it will be transformative because there is implication and application for you and for me, whether Jew or Gentile. So, why is it that this is the most kept feast of the Lord, that is, the religious feasts of the Jewish people, why is it that Passover is the most kept of any of the other Jewish holy days, including Yom Kippur, which is supposedly the highest holy day of the year? Well, I think it has something to do with food, because food is part of Passover. And in reality, Passover goes way, way back, and if it were not for Passover, there would be probably no Jewish people in the world today. Did you know that? If it had not been for Passover, there may not have been any Jewish people in the world today. Because Passover is what protected the Jewish people from the destruction that God wreaked upon Pharaoh, his household, and all the Egyptian people who refused to, by faith, paint the door of a lamb, of the blood of a lamb, uh, excuse me, paint the blood of a lamb, a paschal lamb, upon the doorposts and lintel of their homes. So, we see that this is an extremely important feast, ancient feast, spanning some 35 centuries of human existence. And it's set in the time, actually, of Egypt's great pyramids, uh, it's an impassioned story or account of a death sentence for Jewish infants, a baby floating in a river, Jewish slaves, a burning bush, Egyptian sorcerers, confrontations with the greatest ruler of the day, Pharaoh, who is a type of the Antichrist, divine plagues, a pursuing army, the parting of a sea, and the birth of a nation at the foot of a thundering wilderness mountain. Do you think that's good enough for a movie? You better believe it. Passover carries a powerful message for you and for me today. And for more than 400 years, the Jewish people had lived in Egypt. In fact, God had told Abraham way back earlier, long before the children of Israel ever went into Egypt, God had told Abraham, the father of the faith, that his people were going to be in a land where they would be held for 400 years, and afterward they would come out with great wealth. God told them that. God seems to have an understanding of the patterns of history that you and I miss. And one of the reasons why we're in trouble today is because we miss the patterns of history. As it has been said by George Santiano, Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And if we don't learn from history, well, we're in deep trouble. Well, the problem is we just don't learn from history. Even though God knew what was going to happen, because he's God, and he laid out a plan with a purpose for the redemption of humankind, beginning with a group of people that were despised, were the smallest of all groups of people called the Jews. In fact, they weren't even called Jews at that time. They were called Hebrews, the Hebrew people. 
So for more than 400 years, the Jewish people had lived in Egypt, and the time had come for God to bring them back to their land as he had promised to Abraham. So in the book of Exodus, chapter 11, God detailed through his servant Moses the tenth and final judgment or plague which would befall the Egyptians and their false gods. So at midnight, the Lord would pass through the land and kill the firstborn of each family and of all the cattle. So with that final climatic plague, God would dramatically free his people from the bondage of Egypt. Well, the problem is God took them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. I wonder why. Do you think he's having the same problem with you and with me today, Jew or Gentile? You bet. We'll talk about it on Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. In reality, there's only one viewpoint that really matters, and that's God's viewpoint. So if your viewpoint and my viewpoint don't line up with God's viewpoint, we're in trouble. And to the extent that our viewpoints don't line up with God's viewpoint, by intent, we're in even greater trouble, because it means we're rebels. Well, the children of Israel found themselves in deep trouble. They were in deep trouble because for 400 years they were in Egypt. And when they first went to Egypt, they went there to seek food. A fellow by the name of Joseph, you'll recall, had been cast into bondage by his brothers, who were called the children of Israel because they were the, the sons of Jacob, whose name was changed by God to Israel. But they didn't like Joseph. And so they cast him into a pit, and they were going to kill him. But then one of the brothers prevailed upon them not to kill him, so they sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites, who took him down to Egypt. And when in Egypt, Joseph had to go through 17 years of struggle by faith. And every time it seemed that God raised him up, somebody came along to try to abuse him. He was falsely accused and thrown into prison. He was accused of raping his uh, uh, the governor's wife, so they threw him into prison. He didn't rape her. He actually ran from her. But that was too much for her to handle in her pride, so she accused him of rape. He was thrown into a prison. And then, after a couple of years in the prison, people began to realize God had really given this man tremendous wisdom. And as a result of that and prophetic wisdom, he was raised up and placed in the, in the uh, uh, palace of Pharaoh. This is Joseph. And ultimately was used by Pharaoh to save not only 
the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also to save untold thousands, if not millions, of Egyptians and others because of a tremendous famine. God raised him up from the pit to power. Joseph. But then there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Another Pharaoh down the line saw that the Israeli people, known then as the Hebrews, were getting stronger and stronger. They were having babies. They were multiplying. And he began to fear that somehow they might threaten his kingdom. So he put them into bondage. And they served with grave bondage for many, many years. But God looked down, and he saw these people who were the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and heirs according to the promise that had been made to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to deliver you. I see, I hear your cries, I see your pain, and I'm going to deliver you from the house of bondage. So, through a fellow by the name of Moses whose life had been threatened by Pharaoh because all the little boy babies, two years of age and under, were ordered to be thrown into the Nile River so that they could be either drowned or eaten by crocodiles. But Moses' mom, Jochebed, decided she was going to build a, make a basket. It was the first ark of the Bible, a basket. And she lined it with pitch so there would be waterproof, and she put her little boy, Moses, into that basket and put him in the river. And it floated down and came to the place where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing with her maidservants. And she saw the basket, she brought it up, and she took that little boy, Moses, and took her and adopted him as her own. So he actually was raised to the palace of Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh had determined his death by decree. So he's raised there in Pharaoh's palace for about 40 years and treated as a son, and then all of a sudden he, he realizes, I'm not an Egyptian, I'm a Hebrew. And he saw how his people were being treated and mistreated, and he rose up in defense of one of them and killed an Egyptian, and it became known, and he fled for his life. And he fled to a place called Midian out in the Sinai Desert and was there for 40 years. So now we have 40 years that Moses was raised up in Pharaoh's home, He was banished, so to speak, went to the desert, lived as a shepherd for 40 years, and then God met him one day at a burning bush. The interesting thing is that the bush didn't burn. It just looked like it was burning. And Moses was drawn to it, and God spoke to him out of the bush. And he said, Moses... Moses, the place where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your shoes. And Moses did. And God said, I've called you 
to go in and deliver my people from Egypt. What a story. But it's not just a story, it's an account. So Moses, I mean, he was like you and me, and he, he said, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not qualified for this, I can't even speak well, and uh, I just stutter all the time. And God said, God was angry with him. He said, who made man's mouth? So, ultimately, God said, look, I called you to do this. This is what I want you to do. You can take your brother Aaron, who speaks uh, a little more profoundly than you do. Will you be my voice, and you'll let Aaron be your voice to the people and to, and to Pharaoh? So he goes back into Egypt and says, let my people go. Now, remember those words, let my people go. So Pharaoh says, well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Have you ever heard those words before or similar words? Do you know that in America, almost every person is echoing that attitude of those words today? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? You've got to be kidding me. Just because God says I hate divorce doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to divorce. I'm going to do what I want to do. Hmm. So we're just, we're just like Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? So God, through Moses, had a bit of a tussle with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was the kingpin of the era. He was the ruler of rulers of the world at that time. You didn't get anything by Pharaoh. He was, as it were, a god to his people and saw himself that way. So actually, it was a human god, so to speak, that was reacting to the god of creation, saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? That's kind of like the confrontation that we're facing today, isn't it? That's why America's in such deep trouble. That's why Europe is in such deep trouble. Because increasingly, over the past 100 years, the entire world, including the Western world, including the so-called Christian Europe and Christian America, and all of these have been raising up their voice, increasingly, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? So we're just like Pharaoh. Maybe that's the reason why the words out of Egypt are the most repeated theme in the whole Bible. Did you know that? The words out of Egypt, the most repeated theme in the whole Bible. Over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, you can find those words or similar words. It's astounding. Now, why would not, why might that be? Because the spirit of Egypt is everywhere. The problem was not with a country called Egypt. It's with the spirit of Egypt as evidenced by Pharaoh and his people. Who's the Lord? That I, I, don't you know who I am? I'm me. Don't you know this is the me, me, me generation? What do you think 
You think I should be obeying what God said when he created back then? I'm living today. Don't you know that I am me and I take selfies of myself and of others? This is all about me. It's not about God. It's about me. That's the spirit of Egypt. And it has a grip on the whole world, especially the Western world, the resurrected Roman Empire. And that's where we are today. So, Moses goes in and confronts Pharaoh nine times. God performs amazing miracles, bringing plagues upon Egypt to attack with each one of those plagues the various gods that the Egyptian trusted. And then finally, Pharaoh keeps saying, yeah, I'm going to let you go. Just do this, just do that. And Moses says, no. God says, let us go. we got to go three days' journey to worship our God. And Pharaoh changes his mind over and over and over again, just like many of us change our mind. Yeah, we're going to follow God. Yeah, we're going to do what he says, and then we don't. Stubborn, prideful, rebellious. So God says, okay, push has come to shove. Enough is enough. I've given you every chance in the world, and now I'm going to hit your most important place of worship and dependency, your firstborn. And that leads us to Passover. Because God, in his mercy, wanted to deliver the Hebrew people, the Israelites, he wanted to deliver them from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, And he wanted to give them a hope and a future and a promised land. But in order to do that, he had to get them out from under the mighty arm of Pharaoh. Just like, friends, he wants to keep you from getting under the mighty arm of the Antichrist who is soon to come. Pharaoh was very much a type of the Antichrist. Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? I'm going to lead them into a new world order. I'm going to lead them into a godless new world order. I'm going to do just like they did in the French Revolution with Robespierre leading them. I'm going to be called the Messiah myself. I'm going to be like the Most High God. All this God stuff, no. Don't the people know, don't you know that I am the power broker around here? So it was with Pharaoh, so it was with Robespierre in the French Revolution, and so it will be with the Antichrist soon to come. That's where I write the book. Antichrist, how to identify the coming imposter. You might want to get a copy of it, you don't have it yet. $22, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. 
writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And don't forget that I'm going to make a an offer to you also concerning my book, Out of Egypt. My wife happens to think it's the most powerful thing I've ever written. It's something that God revealed to me 30 years ago, that this was the premier story of the whole Bible, and that if we did not understand what it meant to come out of Egypt, we would never understand the Bible. You may think you understand what it means to come out of Egypt. You may think, oh, you know, that that means that I went to a Billy Graham rally 40 years ago, and I walked down that aisle, and I uh, made a confession, I believe in God, and so on. No. All the Hebrew people believed in God, friends. Every one of them believed in God. They just didn't believe it. They believed in him, but they didn't believe him. And they didn't get into the promised land either. Though God tried. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. You can read about this Passover thing in the book of Exodus, chapters 11 and 12. It's fascinating. God gave some very explicit instructions to Moses to tell the people, look, here's the only way that you're going to, that your people are going to escape the, the death angel that is going to come over Egypt in, in the night. You're going to have to take a lamb for each household, and you're going to have to kill that lamb No matter how dear it might be to you, you're going to have to kill that lamb and offer it, roast it quickly You're not going to break a bone of that lamb and you're going to eat it in haste. And you're going to take the blood from that lamb and you're going to paint it or brush it on the doorposts of your house and on the lintel over the doorposts. And if you will do that, when the death angel comes to take the life of the firstborn throughout Egypt, of both human and animal, he will pass over you. That, friends, is why it is called Passover. It's called Passover, not because it's just some name called Passover, but because the death angel was to pass over those who had painted the blood of the lamb, the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, on the doorposts of their heart, on the on the doorposts of their house, and on the lintel 
above the door uh, above the door and similarly you and i are to take the blood of the lamb christ who was crucified once and for all so that there would be no more need for yearly sacrifices yearly passover sacrifices yearly sacrifices of all other sorts, there would be no need for that anymore because if you would receive the blood of Christ painted on the lintel and doorposts of your heart, the death angel would pass over you in the judgment to come. So you see how what happened to Israel coming out of Egypt was a type of what is going to happen in these end times. That's why this is transformative for you and for me, because if we are stubborn like the Egyptians were and like Pharaoh was and like most of our leaders today are, there's going to be a price to pay that is going to cause a weeping and a wailing just like went through Egypt when the next morning, Pharaoh and all of his servants and all of the people in Egypt found that the firstborn of all of their houses, including the firstborn of all of their animals, were dead. God kept his, his word. God always keeps his word. He's not a man that he would lie like the rest of us. He's a, he is God, and he tells the truth. That's why his word is so important to you and to me. It's called the Bible. The unfortunate thing is that the majority of people have one or more copies of the Bible in their home. They just don't read it. and They don't know what's in it. So they're not prepared. They're not prepared for what's coming. They're not listening to the messages. They don't know. They're ignorant. It's amazing the level level of ignorance. We'll have to do a whole program on that, won't we? So Passover is a one-day feast, you could call it. It's not really a celebration in a sense. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance. It's the first feast of the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 23, there is, in that chapter, are set for seven Moedim, or appointed times, or feasts of the Lord. The first is Passover. It's one day, followed by a seven-day period called unleavened bread. And the reason for the unleavened bread is that leaven represents sin in our lives. You allow a little bit of sin in to your life, just like you allow a little bit of leaven into some bread, and it spreads immediately, rapidly, everywhere. That's why throughout the Bible, leaven is likened to sin, and sin to leaven. So God told the Jewish people, or they weren't called Jews then, they were Hebrews, he told them, look, before I take you out of Egypt, you're not going to eat leavened bread. And for seven days, you're not going to eat leavened bread. In fact, you're going to clean every ounce, every speck of leaven out of your life, out of your homes, everywhere. You're going to get rid of it. So every year, the Jewish people 
go through the process of fastidiously cleaning out their cupboards and uh, everything so that there's no leaven whatsoever. What they don't realize is that that's just a ritual. That ritual was supposed to relate a truth, and that is to get rid of sin out of your life, which is rebellion against God, disagreeing with what God has said. Whenever we diss what God has said, we're disagreeing, we're in rebellion, that's sin. Sin is a transgression of God's word or God's law. It's very simple. These things are not difficult, but God, knowing that we're human beings, realized that we kind of need some sort of uh, uh, pattern to go by in order to follow so that we keep our eyes on the main goal. That's what those seven feasts of the Lord are all about. We'll be going through them uh, for the balance of the year. So, the most important of the Passover meal was the lamb, plus unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now, as they would eat their Passover meal, which ultimately, uh, maybe 500 years before Jesus, uh, took the form of what they call a Passover Seder, a more formal ritualistic kind of uh, service, or order, as the Hebrew word means, Seder, uh, that was in existence at the time of Christ. And it remains, that order remains pretty much the same to this day. So, during the Seder, there are four cups of wine that were taken, and each one is taken symbolically, uh, to express a different aspect of the deliverance from Egypt. The question that lurks over that entire Seder is this question. Why is this night different from all other nights? Why is this night different from all other nights? So, at the Seder... A child is supposed to ask the question, why is this night different than all other nights? And then you're supposed to answer it so that the child or the children know exactly what this Seder is about and why it is important. Now, we're not going to go through all the different cups uh, of wine. Uh, you can check all that out yourself. But there is an interesting connection with what is called the third cup. At the third cup of wine during the Seder meal, a child is sent to the front door to hopefully welcome the prophet Elijah. Now, this is interesting. It should be interesting to you because... In the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament before 400 years of prophetic silence, God, in his mercy and concern both for the Jewish people and for all humankind, said this, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send forth Elijah the prophet. Oh, now wait a minute, Elijah the prophet. Do you know 
that Elijah was one of only two men in the scripture that we have record who'd never died? One was Enoch, and the other was Elijah. He was taken up in a chariot of fire, and they could never find him. You remember that? So, the Jewish people believe that Elijah is the most important prophet of the Old Testament. They also believe that there is an Elijah to come, and that that Elijah to come will usher in the Messiah. In the time of Jesus, you'll recall, there was a fellow by the name of John the Baptist, and he came in, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to introduce the Messiah. Jesus himself said that he was the Elijah that was to come. Well, he was of the spirit of Elijah, but according to Malachi, there is yet another who will represent Elijah, who will come to introduce Messiah in these last days. The Jewish people are looking for him. The problem is they're not looking for the right Messiah. They don't realize he already came. So there's great confusion. And if you want to know more about the resolution of all of that confusion, you are definitely want to get going to get a copy of my new book coming out uh, the end of June, hopefully. Lots of problems with printers out there and getting paper and getting uh, the goods necessary for printing. It's really tough out there. We're hoping it'll come out by the end of June, but it will be coming out sometime then or during the summer. Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. You do not want to miss that book. But in the meantime, we need to be looking for that which is to come. Oh, wait until I share with you what happened. What happened just before Easter. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. The spirit of Egypt is a big thing in the mind and heart of God. You may not realize that, 
But as I indicated earlier, over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, the phrase or words out of Egypt or similar words can be found. Why is that? You see, one of the problems that we have as human beings is we want to know what, who, when, where. But oftentimes we really don't want to know why. Because when we ask the question why, we run the risk of becoming accountable to all the other information. Have you noticed that? But there's a reason why God called his people out of Egypt. Now, he did take them out at Passover with a mighty hand. Pharaoh ultimately released the people from bondage, and then having released them from bondage and said, get out of here, we don't want any more of these plagues, then the people, his army conspired together with him, why are we letting these slaves go? Why are we letting them go? So they chased them down. You know the story. Even Charlton Heston portrayed that in his famous film Moses back in the 1950s. So Pharaoh and his army chased down the Israelites as they fled on their way to the Sinai Desert. And they get to the, the shore of the Red Sea. And then they are trapped. Now what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? So God's own people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, rose up against Moses, and they were going to stone him to death. Why did you lead us here? And then they hear the thunder, thundering hoofs of Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen coming, the dust being kicked up behind, and they're just petrified. Moses cries out to God. And God says to Moses, why are you crying to me? You stretch out your rod over the sea. So the Bible says Moses stretched out his rod over the sea, but God divided the sea. Some of us need to be more proactive by faith and do our part in working with God's call in our life. God expected Moses to cooperate with his promise. You do your part, Moses. You stretch out your rod, and I'll divide the sea. Hmm. We could talk a lot more about that. So, interestingly, God did, in fact, divide the sea. The sea rolled up on both sides. Moses takes the 600,000 Israelite men, plus women and children and all their belongings, and treks them across the Red Sea on dry land. And they get across, and here come the roaring chariots of Pharaoh and his soldiers. Terrifying. Unfortunately, the wheels of their chariots get stuck. And then God says, okay, time for the waters to go back and drown all of Pharaoh's power. It's amazing how some natural disasters, we call them natural disasters, how sometimes they can actually bring the pride of Pharaoh or of other leaders or of nations to their knees. What would it take to bring the pride of America to her knees? 
Are we already being brought to our knees? Have we been in that process now for 50 years, maybe? And we still haven't recognized it? Just ask it. But God called the children of Israel out of Egypt. Did you know that Abraham, the father of the faith, had to come out of Egypt before Israel ever went into Egypt? Then God called Moses out of Egypt. But he had to go into Egypt and live there for 40 years to be able to be called out. Then God sent him to the wilderness for 40 years to get enough Egypt out of Moses to make him useful in the hand of God. So God sends him back into Egypt to take the children of Israel who were in bondage in Egypt out of Egypt to the promised land. The problem is that God took the children of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt with a mighty hand, but they spent 40 years in the wilderness, another 40 years, and God couldn't get Egypt out of them. So bad was the rebellion, the distrust, just like with us today, that God finally said, look, I've given you every hope, I've given you every extension of my love, my mercy, my compassion, and you won't listen. So you say, would to God we had died in the land of Egypt. Okay, so be it unto you. As you have said, so be it unto you. And every last one of them died in the wilderness. Every accountable Israelite that God took out of Egypt died in the wilderness and never got the promise of God. Why? Because they didn't obey him. Except for two men, Joshua and Caleb, because they had another spirit. Question, do you have that other spirit? Are you sure? That's why God says, ultimately, there's only going to be a very small remnant who are going to make it to the promised land. A very small remnant. Because straight as the gate narrows the way and pressure few, there will be that find it. Well, I told you that on the edge of what we call Easter, which really is first fruits, the feast of first fruits. But we call it Easter, resurrection. So here's what happened. Listen very carefully. On Sunday morning, following the Sabbath, that is, following the celebration that people leading up to Passover, Jesus leaves the Mount of Olives, and he descends and heads up across the Cadron Valley up to Jerusalem. And in doing so, just as the prophet Zechariah had foretold, he's on a donkey, and the people are strewing palm branches in front of him, saying, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders are just taken aback. They said, this is blasphemy. How dare they say that about Jesus, about Yeshua? 
But you know what Jesus was doing? He was fulfilling the events leading up ultimately to Passover. They began on that Sunday morning after the Sabbath. And he ascended up to Jerusalem, and the first thing he did was cast out the money changers in the temple and declared, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he drove them all out. And about 50% of all the parables recorded in the scriptures took place in the next four days. In the next four days, Jesus, as the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world, the Paschal Lamb, was presented to Israel. Israel, God had told Moses, was to take a lamb and observe that lamb for four days to make sure that lamb was without blemish before they sacrificed it. Otherwise, God was not going to respect their sacrifice and the blood that would put on the doorposts, and they would lose their firstborn just like the Egyptians. They had to look at that lamb and make sure it was without blemish for four days. Well, I want you to think about this. Jesus began his trek as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world into Jerusalem to the very temple where the Lamb was to be sacrificed and for four days he was presented to Israel to determine whether he was with blemish. And ultimately, you remember the words of the crusty Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, when the Jewish leaders brought Jesus before him to be crucified, and he said, I find no fault in this man. In other words, he is without blemish. I find no blemish in him. So Yeshua, Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, has just fulfilled all biblical prophecy for 3,500 years from Moses all the way up to Pontius Pilate. Well, that's about 1,500 years at that point. It's now about 3,500 years. Jesus fulfilled it all. Just as the prophets had foretold. Just as Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 52 and 53, just as Zechariah had foretold concerning the servant coming in on the donkey, the foal of an ass, so to speak, Jesus did it all. I want you to think about this as we head through this next week, because The lamb was to be observed for four days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Then the lamb was to be killed on the fourth day. 
When was the fourth day again? Not Friday, but Wednesday. You could call it Good Wednesday. We've got it all mixed up. Completely all mixed up. We've missed so much of God's prophetic calendar. What else have we messed up? By the way, speaking of Out of Egypt, I want to make that book available to you because it is a life-changing book. What does it mean to come out of Egypt? It is a $17 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Bank 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Out of Egypt. Now think about it. Abraham, the father of the faith, had to come out of Egypt before Israel ever went in. Moses had to come out of Egypt. He went back in after 40 years, took the children of Israel out. It took 40 years to get enough for God to get enough Egypt out of Israel to allow just two men of accountable age that had come out of Egypt into the promised land. Then, you know what's interesting? The Bible foretold that Jesus himself would have to come out of Egypt. In the book of Hosea, it says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Oh, if you were to read the book of Matthew, you would find that that's exactly what happened. Because after Jesus was born, remember, Joseph was warned, his father, adopted father, was warned in a dream to flee Israel, to go to Egypt because King Herod were seeking to destroy him, just like Pharaoh sought in the days of Moses. History repeats itself, friends. The only thing about this is we don't seem to learn from history. Jesus had to come out of Egypt, and if all of these great leaders had to come out of Egypt, don't you think you need to as well? Out of Egypt. On our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. God bless Let's be a blessing. Let's understand the times. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.